2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
3: Well, thank you very much. I'm Tyler Matheson in tonight for Melissa Lee, and this is... Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Glad to be with all of you. And tonight on Fast, the ultimate year-end trade. The Chartmaster has the one chart to play as we kick off this fourth quarter. Plus, more on today's crude collapse, oil falling hard again, and we will look for any buying opportunities in this beaten down sector. Later, a bed, bath, and beyond blow. I love the beyond department in that store, by the way. The stock handing in one of its best days ever. And one of our traders says it could be headed even higher from here. We're plumping the pillows on bed, bath and beyond. And we'll talk about that trade. But we start with a developing story out of Washington. The next round of coronavirus aid apparently hanging in the balance. And let's get right to it with Elon Moy, who has the latest at this hour. Hi, Elon.
1: Hi, Tyler, with well, the House has now begun debate on Democrats' $2.2 trillion dollar relief package with a vote expected later on this evening. And the House is moving forward with this bill because five straight days of negotiations between the Treasury Secretary and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, have failed so far to produce a compromise. Now, the White House has proposed a $1.6 trillion package that includes billion for state and local funding, as well as $400 a week in enhanced unemployment benefits. But those numbers are still far below what Democrats are willing to accept. And Pelosi also pointed to business and child tax credits as another major sticking point. In a statement, her office said that the two sides discussed further clarifications on amounts and language this afternoon, but distance on key areas remain. Chuck Schumer, the top Democrat in the Senate, put it even more bluntly. He said they are not in agreement yet, and there are lots of areas of disagreement. Now, Democrats say that they can still negotiate with the White House even as they move to take this vote tie. The reality here is that lawmakers are going to go home once this is over, and that is going to make it much harder for a deal to get done before the election. Back over to you. All
3: right, Elon, thank you very much. Uh, well, stocks gave back some early gains today on renewed worries over the stimulus aid. Uh, so Guy Adami is D.C. going to come to the rescue of the markets. I'm thinking back to where we were basically a year ago, where the narrative was, are we going to get a trade deal? Are we not going to get a trade deal? And here, it looks like the market narrative that we're all talking about, whether it's, it's really uh, critical or not, is whether we're going to get a stimulus deal or whether we're not.
4: Well, first of all, Tyler, I, don't, I know we don't work for a monarchy, but you are CNBC royalty. And on behalf of the other three, it's an honor to have you with us tonight. And with that said, I mean, I don't... Listen, I to try to game out what's going to go on in Washington is very difficult to do. But I'll say this. You have a jobs number tomorrow. You have this going on in terms of the stimulus package. A lot hangs in the balance. The market's had a tremendous run off those lows we made, I think 32.10 or so in the S&P 500. Today's high in the S&P was effectively a 50% retracement of the September 2nd high, the all-time high, and that recent low that I flagged. VIX was a little bit higher today. It's been trending that way. You know, I think the, the... I think the dangerous move is to the downside, given the things we just talked about, in my opinion.
3: Dan, how about you jump in here? Uh, I wonder how critical you think a stimulus or a second aid package is, not just to the economy, but to the stock market. Is it the principal part of the narrative that we should be following? Or is it really, uh, more importantly, how the economy is coming back and what's going on with covid?
5: Yeah, I think it's a lot of, you know, all of the above. How's that, Tyler? I mean, listen, the COVID thing, you know, the mark, the market is acting. As if there is no potential for a second wave at a time that we're starting to see spikes all over the country um, as we see schools and a lot of businesses reopening. So, you know, the potential for a second wave and disruptions from that are pretty good. I think we can all agree there will not be the sort of lockdown that we saw in the spring. As it relates to stimulus, you know, Fed Chairman Powell told us on a couple of times in September that monetary uh, stimulus can only do so much. We need more fiscal stimulus. But here's the thing, you know, this is fast money. We have a trading market. We have $1.6 trillion at $2.2 trillion. I think the White House really wants to get something done for political reasons. I think the House, which is run by the Dems, really want to get aid to the people that need it. So I think that we probably find something in the middle before the election. And I think that at the end of the day... That will help the markets. If you think about the volatility that we had, the downward volatility in September, I think it had a lot to do with obviously a bit of an overshoot in August. But then the likelihood that we are not going to see expanded unemployment benefits and a new stimulus package in September really kind of rattled some investors. So I would say all of the above. I would say that all of the above are not particularly priced into the equity market. And 3393, really big technical resistance in the S&P 500 with 3200. The most recent support that it bounced off of; those are the levels I'm keying on. Karen, I'm, I'm
3: thinking because uh, I know everybody on this show is crazy about music. Uh, in between breaks, there are lots of references to old songs. I'm going to yes. think of that song. Uh, I think it was called "Why Don't We Do." Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I think it was Marin Morris. Am I right? Am I right, everybody? Or am I stuck wrong? Stuck in the
6: middle with you, Steeler's Wheel. <laughs> oh, I stuck in, know, the I middle you. in the middle with you.
3: Yeah, that was Steeler's, Steelers Wheel. Wheel. Yeah. Stuck in the middle but the Marin Morris one is a little more contemporary, Tim. I'm just trying to get you there. Uh, Karen, <laughs> would you do anything <laughs> different in your portfolio tomorrow if there was a stimulus deal tonight?
7: Yes, I think I would. I think that you would have to be in more cyclical stuff. Um, I think that I I think the banks would do well, though they seem to be resistant to doing well in any scenario. Um, But I I would be more bullish for sure. I would be long the market, Uh, probably take back protection. I would think the VIX would come down. I agree with everything each of them said, particularly Dan. I find myself in the unusual position of agreeing with everything Dan said (laughs) about the stimulus, about the likelihood of the stimulus, why it weighed, uh, weighed on the market in September and what it would do in the short term. I think even more than positive vaccine data, stimulus, a stimulus deal is much more immediate.
3: Really? Even more than a vaccine, it would have more tonic effect. Tim, wrap up the conversation here. What do you think?
6: Um, notice the Royal wave to you, sir. Hey there. Um, also, I, I think, yes, the, the <laughs> outperformance of transports and industrials as we got to the end of the third quarter is a trend I think you're going to absolutely see. Later on this show, we're going to talk about a resurgence in, in autos. Uh, but I, I think if you look at some of the machinery, whether it's a Cummings, whether it's a Whirlpool and light appliances, things that are supporting the construction boom, which, you know, again, we got some construction spending numbers in the last couple of days. They were extraordinary. And, and I think those trends continue. Uh, Dan is talking about the over of august Uh, i i think i think tech will continue to play ball but i think they'll hold serve i don't think they'll outperform Uh, and i think that the trade into uh value from growth and not extreme value because extreme value usually means things like uh bombed out industries or places like energy which we can also talk about um but I, i like the trade into value names like some of these industrials that have actually very good balance sheets
3: all right folks let's move on to our next topic it is the first day of a new quarter the fourth quarter The second and third quarters were doggone good. We have exclusive results now from our new CNBC stock survey. We polled dozens of Wall Street strategists and asked which sectors will lead the way as we close out this tumultuous year overwhelmingly tech was the favorite heading into 2021 followed by industrials and consumer discretionary there you see the numbers: 64 58 48 flipside energy and utilities expected to be the worst performers in the fourth quarter uh, with real estate rounding out the bottom of the pack so that's what the strategists are saying but the question is, what are the charts saying? Will tech really lead the way into 2021? And let's get to the chart master, Carter Worth, with more, Carter. What do the charts tell you about what may lead us and what may lag?
8: Sure. Well, before we look at the charts, it's important to say that in many ways, it almost has to be tech, in the sense that when tech is up, the market itself, the S and P, is up 82 percent of the time, and when tech is down, uh, the market is down, and so. That uh, view, that consensus needs to be right if one wants to be bullish on the market. Let's look at a few charts and tables and figure it out from there. The current sell-off that we've just lived through in tech, in the market, um, how many times has the tech sector dropped more than 10% from an all-time high? It's happened 24 times in the history of the data. And interestingly, this sell-off, if you see here on the first table, down 14.2%, it's exactly in line with the median of those 24 other 10% plus sell offs So 14.2% down versus 14.6, almost uh, right on schedule, if you will. The next slide, the magnitude, if you look at all of those instances, 24 in total, where the sector has dropped 10% plus, uh, the typical, I mean, duration uh, is, 27 days or thereabouts. This one's been quicker, which you can see on the slide 12. And so that begs the question, we, uh, we did it very quickly, which often uh, one could say is that means we got it out of the way, but it also means that we didn't quite expunge the excess that we might need to have. In terms of the duration um, to recover, slide three, how long does it take? If history is any guide. Once you drop more than 10% in the tech sector to recover the losses and get back to a new all time high. And you can see the data on, on your screen. 39 days is the median duration to recoup the loss. This recovery is only eight days in the making. Were we to be in line with the median, that would literally take us to election week, which is, which is ironic. A, a chart or two. Here's the chart of the S and P. What do we know? It's a textbook trend line and a textbook break in trend. And so how significant is a break in trend? Well, take a look at the next chart. The other sell offs, we've had six in total from the March low. We're all confined (laughs) to five, six, seven percent. This one being down 14 is the issue. It's the first one that broke trend. At a minimum, it takes two months to recover all the ground lost, and then there's the possibility that it's not going to be in line with the median, that it's going to be worse. And so the final thing is uh, what I I started with. If one wants to have a judgment about the S&P and about equities, one needs to figure out tech, because when tech is down, the market is down, and this is going back to the early 1990s, basically 80% of the time, and when tech is up, the market is up. The market is tech. Tech is the market.
3: Hang on for just a second, Carter, because the man who dubbed me royalty, uh, Guy Adami, has a question for you. Guy. (laughs) And you are royalty. And (laughs) since we have Carter on, he is on the Mount
4: Rushmore of technicians. Carter knows that. Carter, here's a question for you. You know, when S&P 500 (laughs) made an all-time high back earlier this year, 33.98, the VIX was either side of 14. We're effectively at the same S&P level, the VIX is twice that. Is that telling you something? I know I'm leading you here, but is that concerning in any way?
8: Well, it is, because what it is saying, and we know this, is that uh, there's a certain uh, trepidation uh, among market participants whether it is because of an election, or good or bad, whatever that means, or a vaccine, good or bad. And so the elevated VIX is a tell, and I think that's what you're leading to, that it's not quite the same as it was before, and therefore there's inherent risk in being long.
3: All right, Carter, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll see you again soon, I hope. Let's stick with tech for just a minute. We've got a market flash on Twilio, and Josh Lipton has it. Josh.
9: That's right. Check out Twilio here, Tyler. It is surging in the after hours. The news here in a filing says it expects more third quarter revenue uh, than it had previously projected back in August. Remember, that was between 401 and 406 million. Stock's moving higher here. Twilio has skyrocketed this year. It's up about 160 percent in 2020. Remember what Twilio does, its software allows app developers to embed text uh, voice, video and messaging into their products. Tomorrow, actually, I'm going to be speaking with Twilio CEO Jeff Lawson on Squawk Alley, so tune in to that one. Back to you, Tom. All right,
3: Josh, thank you very much. Uh, Dan, let me turn to you for a quick thought on Twilio. I know it's one you follow.
5: Yeah, interesting uh, announcement today. Um, the stock, I think, um, caught a little bit of a headwind from an, a, a strategic partnership with Microsoft. I think it was with Datadog the other day. Um, So, you know, these guys coming out, flexing a little bit. I mean, listen, this kind of plays into the stuff that's really working in technology. I mean, I think these are the sorts of names that are catching a lot of attention right now from the MAGA complex, from the mega cap tech. And I think these are the names that are going to continue to work because I think a lot of investors at this point of the year, as we head into this last quarter, are far more interested in going with the unknowable, the things that don't have a lot of earnings, but have tremendous revenue growth. And that's what I think will probably continue to work into the end of the year, especially as the MAGA complex, including Facebook, let's call it F MAGA. Um, they are going to be really faced with no matter who's in the White House, no matter who has the Senate um, next year, they're going to be faced with a lot of regulatory hurdles, I think. And I think that's something that probably weighs on that category of tech stocks. All
3: right, Tim, you want to jump in? Well, I, I just
6: I would echo what Dan's saying, and I would, I would further it and say, you know, cloud companies that, that uh, think of schools, think of think of corporations that are now th- and think of what Josh just said about what these guys do. They're allowing people to incorporate uh, both video technology, uh, website technology, how they can actually communicate, how they can actually cohabitate. Um, and, and as we get into whatever this is going to be, at least through the next six months, uh, more of what we had in the last six months. The question is, what do you want to pay for these companies? Uh, and that's really what this is going to come down to. I know that the stock market's going to like Twilio. I know they're going to like Zoom in terms of the concept of what's going on. But the valuations are really tough. Think of the move the stock has had and be careful.
4: Uh, listen, I will say, Tyler, if memory serves, Monday, August 3rd, the stock made an all-time high, I think around 289. We're probably trading close to that now. If you're in this name, if you've enjoyed this move over the last couple of weeks, my sense is you take profits, Look to fight another day, because as Dan Nathan knows, Dan, I know you're going to say it after I do, potentially could be the mother of all double tops. Tyler, back to you.
3: All right. We're going to take a quick break, folks, and and be right back. Coming up, oil prices prices plunging today. But you'll hear from one legendary oil analyst who says now is the time to bet on this beaten down sector. We'll give you the names on his list and later why this stock could be a winner in both the stay-at-home surge and the back-to-work boom.
0: But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. Oil prices plunging to start the quarter. Crude down more than 4%, as you see right there, hitting its lowest level in nearly two weeks. A few factors at play today, demand concerns as coronavirus cases continue to rise worldwide. Will the economy slow as a result? And OPEC upping its output last month. The S&P Energy ETF, the XLE, falling 3% today. And that is after shedding a fifth of its value in the third quarter. Karen, what do you think of crude's collapse? And, and is this a time to, to, to hold your breath and get in or just sort of watch it?
7: Well, there's something about the car wreck aspect of it that makes it sort of interesting to me. Um, I mean, earlier in the year, crude was w- well lower than here. And I think Tim at that time was the only one who would have stepped in. And, and it had popped a lot from then and, uh, you know, has retraced somewhat. I feel like we're in a secular decline over time. But I could see, you know, if the economy reopens, that demand will come back. But I'm not going to be quick enough to trade around that. So I really am not that I, I don't have very much energy exposure at all.
6: Tim? Uh, you know, think about March 6th. The, yep. This was a Sunday, uh, I believe, but certainly when OPEC, uh, really Saudi and Russia decided to play a game of chicken. And, and that was, uh, in terms of the overall markets and risk, that was the first linchpin that sent the markets down. And it, and it was just one ingredient. Um, and think of where we've come since that time. I actually believe that, that WTI, or, you know, or I, I followed Brent, somewhere around $40. Um, I actually think the price action hasn't been that awful. It's been volatile, but holding this level is very important. Uh, I think more importantly, a lot of the equities are going through a painful either restructuring process. And I think there are some good things that happened this week, uh, whether you look at the restructuring across the board, uh, the, you know, the Devon WPX deal, um, Oxy selling off assets. There's consolidation that's not bad for the sector.
3: I think it's ultimately good. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit more about that with our next guest, who says there is big opportunity in the beaten down oil sector. Let's bring in longtime oil analyst Paul Sankey of Sankey Research. Paul uh, joins us on the phone. We're delighted, as always, to have you uh, with us. Why don't we start where Tim left off, uh, making the case that for some of the companies that are in this business, uh, they are being forced or have chosen to make some important moves that could position them for greater profitability and greater health in the future. Do you see that taking place? And if so, where?
10: Well, exactly as Tim said, uh, by the way, hi and thanks. Um, Yeah, exactly as Tim said, uh, we're seeing consolidation. We also had a couple of extra bankruptcies, unfortunately, this week. So essentially, the sector is restructuring. But the big problem here is just the demand side is not there. And you're still really disastrous demand environment. Additionally, seasonally, the oil price almost always falls after Labor Day because the refiners actually begin to go into turnaround. And, of course, you have the end of summer driving. So it's not unusual for oil prices to be falling from their summer highs. It's just extremely unfortunate that the summer highs this year were only $40 a barrel. Um, But, yeah, there there is definitely consolidation, and we are definitely taking out the weakest, unfortunately. So as far
3: as the price goes, you point out that we've left the summer driving season, number one. Uh, People are staying home more uh, and maybe not commuting or taking long road trips as much because if in this country you go across uh, state borders, uh, nominally you're supposed to quarantine in many cases. So where does, uh, both for seasonal reasons and and habits-changing reasons, where does the price of oil settle in, say, December, January, March?
10: Well, I'll answer that immediately. That we think the low will be February, actually, of next year, which is the typical seasonal pattern, and we have said that all through summer. Um, but I, I think it's important to highlight a couple of things. First, we talked about uh, the whale—you um, know, buying uh, upside options in uh, tech stocks. The SoftBank whale. My example was that we had the China whale. China was buying a lot of oil at the lows. And the concern today has been that China is weakening and has a lot of oil uh, stored actually in floating storage offshore. So there's a problem that our whale has been beached, if you want. Uh, mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, airlines, it's not so much people driving. That's actually bullish. It's that no one's flying. And mm. the uh, IATA did a survey which found that 50% of people surveyed said they had no plans to travel by air in 2020. So there's a long way still to go. And that's really the problem in the sector is that without air travel, you obviously lose jet fuel demand, which is going to stay oil oriented for the next 20 years. And without that jet travel, we're just in a very tough cyclical downturn.
3: That's a a very interesting point. I think Go ahead, Guy. Jump on in.
4: I'm I'm sorry, Tyler. Paul, it's great having you on last time you were with us. I think ExxonMobil, you know, we were talking about the stock. You said there's going to be an opportunity to buy this at some point. It wasn't that day. I think Exxon closed around 33 today. I think the March low was 30. Is this it? Are we getting close in the big cap integrated? I'm not actually going to play stock market, but these names have been awful now for the last few months.
10: Wait a second. I thought we were playing stock market. Um, now, uh, <laughs> you know, as I said, uh, there's two problems with Exxon. Firstly, as I mentioned to you, that the February 21 is when I think the low will be. If you remember last time, I said buy Exxon, sell Apple. I actually haven't been run over in that trade. Okay. Apple's down about eight percent. Exxon's down about 15 percent. And I, again, I said it was a five-year trade, which is a bit of a cheat, obviously. Um, but the the oil price is is a problem, and, and as you know, Exxon is enormously exposed to global refining, and that's also just a disaster until people start flying by by plane. So it, it's too early. You have to wait until we get through this COVID. We've got to get people back in the air and then refining will recover. Summer 21 could be a great year for refining because everybody's driving. Nobody's taking mass transit. And if people start getting back in the air, we could have too much crude with strong oil demand. So Exxon could be back strong next summer. But this is going to be a very tough winter. And they had a profit warning this morning uh, just for Q3.
3: Paul, thank you very much. Always great to see you, Paul Sankey. Uh, oh, it's, it's great to have you with us. Tim, I'm going to give you the final word, but I, but I kind of want to echo something that, that Paul said there, uh, and it, it's kind of sure. skipped my mind, and that is the importance of air travel in all of this. The Last time I was on a plane was late February. I have no plans to get on one between now and the end of the year, and I don't know when the next time I will get on a plane is. I don't know about you all, uh, but, uh, but that, that level of demand has just been taken out of the market. Last thought goes to you.
6: Yeah, or sitting in rush hour traffic. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of places in the world where people were, were driving back and forth. They just are not in the short term. Um, follow the best balance sheet, folks. There, if you can find a company that's cash flow positive in this environment, has run their balance sheet, um, I do think that the WPX-Devon deal, uh, it's a merger
3: of equals. I think it's an interesting deal uh, to now look at that combined entity. All right, Tim, thank you very much. We are, it says right there, just getting started right here on Fast Money. Even though we're kind of halfway through, we're just getting started. It's getting warmed up. Here's what's coming up next. We're counting down to the last jobs report before the presidential election. But just how strong is the economy and the consumer? We'll get some answers. And later, streaming higher. The call that got shares of Roku on the move today.
11: We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
3: And welcome back, everybody. We have a news alert on Amazon, and Deidre Bosa has the story. Hi, Deidre.
7: Hey, Tyler. According to a blog post, Amazon says that over 19,000 U.S. workers contracted coronavirus over six months. Amazon says that that accounts for just less than 1.5% of U.S. frontline workers contracting the virus. Now, over the last few months, there have been many calls for Amazon to publish this information. So this is the first time that we're hearing from Amazon, you know, a specific number of cases, infections at the warehouses. And it also, I should note, Tyler, comes on the back, on the heels of a report talking about workplace safety. So there are also calls for Amazon to publish more information, be more transparent around injuries at its warehouses. But again, Tyler, this in a blog post, Amazon saying that 19,000 U.S. workers have contracted coronavirus over the last six months.
3: Fascinating. Fascinating putting sharp numbers on it that way, Deirdre. Thank you very much. Dan, Nathan, let me turn to you as we follow some of the Chiron's that were there. This was 1.4 percent of their total workforce, 19,000 U.S. workers. But they say that the incidence within that workforce is lower than you might expect when compared with the general population. So I assume Amazon would say it goes to the to the to the point that we are doing the best we can to protect our workers and we're doing a pretty doggone good job of it.
5: Yeah, I think Debo kind of nailed it a little bit. I mean, the transparency over the last six months is probably the reason why they'll catch some flack for it. But but If you go just look and see how this stock is traded and you go and look and see their results, I mean, they basically won the pandemic for all intents and purposes. Their workers were frontline workers. They created a vaccinated retail supply chain that kept a lot of citizens in this country going at a time where we know that a lot of bricks and mortar retail were closed. So at the end of the day, um, this is a company that has definitely faced a lot of criticism about um, wages that they pay their workers, that sort of thing. This is just kind of something that will be piled on, especially by some of those people in Washington who really don't like Amazon. So to me, it's more of a little PR thing. I just think at the end of the day, it's not something that will be focused on by stock market investors um, for too long.
3: Karen, give me me your thoughts on Amazon. We had a guest on uh, Power Lunch earlier today who said he sees Amazon going to 4,500 fairly quickly. I think it's 3,300 now and eventually to 6,000. On the other hand, you've got what Dan pointed out, and that is the idea or the notion that uh, that Amazon, under some lights, is not terribly popular in Washington, and there might be antitrust uh, knives out for them. Your thoughts?
7: Yeah. Well, to me, the thoughts about this 19,000 number is, wow, that's such a big headline number. When, when you look at it, it's 1.4 percent. that doing the math right it's so that means they have 1.4 million workers that's like a small city so if you had a small city that had 19,000 incidents of corona it's terrible for each one of those 19,000 but at 1.4% i actually do think that's a pretty good job and that it was worse at the beginning and they started to really get a handle on it so i appreciate the transparency i don't i agree with dan i don't think at the end of the day this will change anyone's bullish case or dampen it in any way for Amazon.
3: All right. We're going to move on now with a double dose of data coming out today, casting a little bit of new doubt on the health of the U.S. economy. And you know who's got it. Steve Leisman. Hi, Steve.
11: Hey, Tyler, yeah, a decline in jobless claims, which was the good news, down 36,000, but to a still very, very high level of 837,000 new claims for jobless benefits. Uh, And and the continuing claims numbers, those continuing to receive them, also fell. It fell by a good number, but still to a very high level, 11.76 million Americans getting just the regular jobless claims, Another chunk, if you go back to September 12th, totaled 26.5 million Americans getting both pandemic unemployment assistance and jobless claims. Moving on, we're starting to see, Tyler, some of the impact of the withdrawal of stimulus from the system or the ending of that stimulus. Personal income falling by 2.7 percent and all of the decline was in the decline in government benefits. Uh, wages actually went up more than 1 percent. But spending hung in there up 1% uh, compared to an estimate of 0.9% on the street. So what happens when you have a decline in income and a rise in spending? Well, Tyler, comes from savings. Well, savings rate declining by 3.6%, but Americans still have a good amount saved up relative to where they were before the pandemic.
3: You know what, I, I would call these these data um, ambiguous, I suppose. They're, they're, they're not as good as you might expect in some cases, <clears throat> particularly the thing on falling incomes, That that's real dollars uh, that that aren't getting spent. We have a jobs report tomorrow. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. We'll, we'll talk with the, the, uh, the team here in just a minute about that. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, particularly in light of new layoffs that won't show up in the number we get tomorrow from the likes of Disney and probably from the airlines
11: before very long. So Tyler, I mean, ambiguous, I think is a great, great word to use because there's so many different cross currents in the economy right now. We're looking for 800,000 jobs to be created in any other world. That would be an amazing number. It's a quadruple what you would get, uh, the 200,000 that we were all used to uh, that we're doing in job growth before the pandemic. 800,000 is amazing, except it still leaves 10.7 million jobs uh, unrecovered from the pandemic. So there's still a very long way to go. Um, Look, the, the people on your panel are, are acting and betting and, and, and investing like it's all done. We are now down, Tyler, to just kind of, oh, why don't you call it, a pretty bad recession from the worst recession in, uh, since the Great Depression. Isn't it interesting that you say we we're looking for 800,000
3: new jobs and we had something more than 800,000 new unemployment claims today? That tells you that's ambiguous, my friend. Steve, thank you. And as we await that final jobs report before the election, we are seeing a slew of corporate jobs cuts. As I mentioned just in a moment ago, Disney announcing layoffs for 28,000 workers. I was amazed that that number did not come up in the debate on Tuesday night, even though they took place on Tuesday or announced. J.P. Morgan and Allstate also announcing cuts. And today, United and American Airlines furloughing more than 30,000 workers so what are these layoffs saying about the true state of the economy? Who would like to begin here? I call it an ambiguous uh, data read, um, s- s- better than we would have thought in, in March, but, but certainly not uh, an all-clear flag. Uh, Tim, go ahead. Tim is waving his hands like it's well, a Zoom it- call. I didn't know what to do, uh, King Tyler, because
6: if you throw it out to this group, it's a, there's a lot of meat and a lot of people reaching for scraps. So uh, I, I say this. I mean, the, the, the spending data reflects a, a the $600 a month of stimulus that rolled off. Um, we're going to get something back. There, there's no question to me we're going to continue to see more job losses, even though uh, the, the payroll numbers tomorrow are, are going to show some improvement in the short run. And, and ultimately, uh, I think the, the real question for the economy is, where are you seeing around the world also some, some continued, you know, call it improvement. What we did see overnight uh, was the fact that industrial and PMI numbers around the world were actually a lot better. If you look at the European ones, they were significantly better on the basis of China has opened up. I'm not saying China can be the model. And obviously that's a, a difficult statement to say in a lot of circles. But um, I do think when we look at the economy and if we continue to trend towards a place where it's, we're just counting down the days. Um, the, the, the Fed is at, is, is at your back and there will be more stimulus. In fact, I think there will be uh, a stimulus plan at a minimum that will be infrastructure uh, within the first month of the next presidency, who, no matter who it is. So um, you, you can't fix this overnight, uh, but I think there's recognition in Washington that there does need to be more done.
3: Dan, let me give you the last word on the, uh, the employment data tomorrow, the overall health of the economy. It looks like lots of companies, largely tech companies, some of the big retail companies, are doing very well. But I go and take a walk down the street of my town in New Jersey, and I see one store after another that is gone. Yeah. I see one for rent vacant. Vacancy, available sign after another. That tells me that a real key part of the American economy is suffering badly.
5: Well, it's suffering badly at a time where there's been tremendous innovation. And I think Tim used the expression earlier, just the acceleration of certain trends, which are being affected dramatically by technology and innovation. So the scars on our economy as it relates to workers um, is going to last for, for years, probably afterwards. And when you think about structurally high unemployment, we're talking about an 8.2% number that's up from 3.6. I think in January of this year, it's actually much higher when you consider how many people have left the workforce, and I guess I'll just make the last point that, you know, about those Disney and those 28,000 workers, they did not want to lay those workers off, they had them furloughed. Well, when they finally reopen, and when we finally have our uh, economy humming on the other side of this pandemic, how many of those workers' jobs will be replaced? By technology. And that's really what's going on. So that's the acceleration. And that's really the sad thing. And so when you think about the trade war and the damage it did on our farming and on our manufacturing, um, some of that stuff is kind of here to stay very sad. Yeah, that's
3: a very that's a fascinating point. We've all talked about the idea of working at home and how this crisis speeded up a process that was probably already in place, and you're taking it into another context, and I think making a very valid point that some of these transitions were already happening, and this has accelerated them. Dan, thank you very much. We're going to take a break. Coming up, some upbeat news on the car lot. Sending shares of GM and Ford higher today, but is this rally about to stall? And later, a surprise surge in a long-suffering retail stock that my wife just loves. This name just posted its third best day ever. We'll tell you what it is, why she takes me there so often when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. Auto stocks kicking into high gear today, thanks to some upbeat news on the car lot. And Phil LeBeau has the details. Hey, Phil.
12: Tyler, we're still waiting for the final numbers in terms of the pace of sales for September and for the third quarter. But based on what I've seen from a number of automakers doing a little better than expected, don't be surprised if we see the best September since February. In fact, a sales rate that may even top 16 million as a sales pace for the third quarter. The estimate is for a sales pace between 15.7 and 15.9 million units. Remember, the automakers, for the most part, are only reporting on a quarterly basis. And today we got the Q3 numbers from General Motors. And yes, it was down almost 10 percent compared to the third quarter of last year. But in September... Their sales actually went positive, and the number, not down 9.9%, that was better than expected. Fiat Chrysler, also down a little over 10% for the quarter, a little better than expected. Same story across the line for all of the automakers. And Ram truck sales in the third quarter, they were up by 15%. If you want a truck right now, Tyler, it's tough to find one. You can buy a new one, but you're paying full price for that pickup truck. Also, Tesla. We are awaiting Tesla's Q3 sales, their delivery numbers. Likely you're going to get those tomorrow. And what people are going to be focused on, how many vehicles did they deliver? Did they meet the expectation of delivering 137,000 vehicles? Remember, the big focus for Tesla, Tyler, is going to be China, China, as well as Model 3, as well as what do they have left to deliver in the fourth quarter in order to meet the target of at least a half million vehicles being delivered this year.
3: All right, Phil, thanks very much. Uh, We're going to trade it now. Guy, you know, I think Phil inadvertently gave us a yogiism right there. He said this was the best September since February. That's what he said. The best September (laughs) since February. (laughs) Go ahead, uh, Guy.
4: You You know, Ty, I know when you're having your blue plate specials at Denny's, you're watching Fast Money, and I know that when you do watch, you see that Carvana has been a name we've talked about literally for six, seven months now. And look at the move in the stock today. Tremendous move, new all-time high to me. And and we've been saying this for a while. The only way to play, in my opinion, the autos are names like this. And Carvana still grinds higher because people are finding the trucks that you can't find at the dealership at places like
5: Carvana. Carvana. Dan, you're nodding there. You like it? Well, we had this conversation last week, and my, my view is, if you like Carvana, then you have to like AutoNation. This is a company that's doing forty or so percent of their sales online, and they also got the trucks, as Guy likes to say, um, a little bit. And it's obviously a much cheaper stock um, on a valuation basis too. So, if you like Carvana, I like AutoNation. All right, thanks a lot. Coming up, uh, shares of Bed Bath and Beyond. That's
3: the store. Topping the tape. We'll tell you what sent that stock surging today. And it's not just Bed, Bath & Beyond. We will tell you what it sent investors streaming into shares of Roku today. Stick with us. Fast Money will be back in two. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Bed, Bath & Beyond topping the tape on the back of a blowout earnings beat. Online sales jumping Eighty percent last quarter. Uh, and we're going to uh, talk, hear much more about this Bed, Bath & Beyond from the CEO of that company, who will be joining Jim Cramer on Mad Money at the top of the hour. Mark Tritton will join Mr. Crane. Karen, your take on this big move, I, I think of this company as kind of the search breath mint. Is it, is it, a, is it a candy mint? Is it a breath mint? <laughs> is this an old economy retail <laughs> stock or is it a new economy stock and also a stay-at-home stock as people found, oh, maybe I need another Swiffer?
7: Yeah, I think it's definitely a stay-at-home stock, but they're trying to be a new economy stock. They're trying to be a, a, an online merchant. I mean, they had fantastic same-store sales improvement, probably because they were able to close down a lot of the really crappy stores. They had very good margin improvement. Even with that increase in e-commerce sales, which are lower margin, they weren't as promotional, so that was very good. They have good things going on the balance sheet. They bought back some higher-cost debt, so they could be in a virtuous cycle there. I mean, only a quarter ago they were on, uh, I don't know if it was Moody's or S&P Watch, for a negative downgrade, I think that probably won't happen. In another quarter or so, they may even get an upgrade. So there was a lot to really like about this. Also, including it's a good time to be a stay-at-home kind of nesting sort of company, which they, that's the kind of stuff they have. It's also a good time to renegotiate your leases with your landlords. So they're doing a good job there. All that together, though, enormous short interest, 61%, which is just gigantic and it traded 83 million shares today, which is three-quarters of the company. Guy can speak to what that tells you. I I can't recommend it here, but good for them. This turnaround is really taking hold. The balance sheet's better, up 30-some-odd percent with a giant squeeze. I can't recommend it right here. I don't own it. I'm sad. I wish I did, but I don't.
3: Guy, I saw you almost, I don't know whether it was a skeptical nodding of your head or, or what it was. First of all, Karen is
4: clearly in my head because she mentioned it traded 83 million shares today. She's spot on. I think most, if not all, the shorts covered it traded nine times normal volume. It traded up exactly where we topped out, I think, April of 2019. So I would be taking profits here. What I will say, though, this is the genius of the company because I was there with my wife and daughter over the weekend. You have to go about 100 yards and serpentine past about a thousand different things in the impulse byline line just to get to the cashier that's genius because I have more Twizzlers and Kit Kats than I know what to do with now, Ty.
3: <laughs> you, you know, I was at at one of the stores in the in the middle of the summer buying a Dyson vacuum cleaner. It was one of the only places that had a Dyson's left, and it was the same thing. You have to go this circuitous route, and you have to wait, and you're there with all of these temptations. Don't take a five year old in, man. Oh my goodness gracious. Anyhow, there's been uh, interesting action in the options <laughs> of Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, it they went nuts today, and Bonwin Ison has the action for us, Bonwin take it away.
9: Thanks so much, Tyler. So really what you want to focus on is the, the sheer volume that traded. They talked about it in the shares. The options traded about 275,000 times versus about a 50,000 uh, average daily volume. So that's 6 times. If you fast forward, the calls and puts were evenly distributed, but I'm going to tell you why that's not necessarily the full story there. If you take a look at the at the money straddles out to October, those imply about a 16% move in either direction. Still 16% after having a 25% move higher. And what I want to highlight for you is about 50,000 of the October 15 puts were sold at about 15 cents. Now, there was 30,000 of open interest there, so some of that is going to be closing. But what it really looks like is that people are not only closing down some risk or recovering some of their premium that, um, that they had, but also putting on bullish bets here. If you think about it, being that your break-even is going to be down 1485 you're about 20 percent lower than where stock is, being that name is going to continue to be volatile. That's probably how you want to express your bullish view.
3: All right, Bonowin, thanks very much. And coming up next, uh, we've got uh, more options action tomorrow, I should say, not coming up next, 530 p.m. Check it out. Options action tomorrow to get all the options you can handle there. Up next, Roku streaming higher, and we'll tell you why right after this. All right, folks, take a look at shares of Roku, jumping more than 6% today after Citi upped its price target to $220 a share. That is a 10% upside from where it closed today, Roku hitting new all-time highs. When we return, we'll bring you some final trades. Time now for the final trade, and because I have absolute royal power, I get to decide who goes first. Tim, it's you this time. <laughs> Thank you, sire. Uh,
6: one of the big disappointments of the last six months, Intel starting to make a move. Check that one out.
3: Karen, you're next.
7: Yeah, with my wrist-carb hat on, Tiffany. I like the theater of it.
3: Oh, there's a lot of theater around that. How about you, Dan? Yeah, deer, too far, too fast. I'm a seller. Deer, run up and runs like a deer. And guy. Xilinx, big man. Xilinx. Great to be back with you guys. I wish it were in person. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
2: Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track, we care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step. But having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.